So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, even as James prayed earlier, we know that the enemy would love to do nothing more than to divide us. And we know that unity is a work of the Spirit in us and through us. And so I just simply ask, through your word, through your Spirit, would you do that work of uniting us? so that we would have peace between us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it won't come as any surprise to you as I've mentioned this several times before that growing up, I was quite into various forms of rock music. And there were various bands that I followed and, and, and gravitated towards. And typically the way uh, a band, when they were coming through, would come to town, you would, you would already know about it. There would be one of those you know, posters, and they would have their name on it, and, and the price, and the location, the time, all of that. So you'd pick up your tickets in advance, and you would, and you would come down to, to the show. But one of the bands that I really enjoyed, they had a habit of merely just showing up in town unannounced, and allowing it to be by word of mouth, that people would come down to the show. So a friend would call a friend who would call a friend who would call a friend. Well, I got a phone call, and it was my friend who said, our favorite band is in town, and they're here. They're playing tonight. And I said, well, sweet, I'm coming. Let's go. So we hop in a car. We run down to the venue. And to our shock, you know, they had just shown up that day and made it known there was a line that wrapped around the entire venue. And so we're thinking, holy smokes, we better get in line quick. And so we get in line. And as the, the concert begins and the security guards are letting folks in, the line is getting shorter and shorter and shorter until my friend and I are right up to the, the next uh, two to come in. Right there, when the security guard takes the, the, you know, the classic little chain thing and puts it across and says, well, I'm so sorry, the show is completely sold out. <laughs> and so here we were. You know, so excited our favorite band had finally come. We were on the outside. We're all these people who happened to beat us to the venue were on the inside. And so the smart thing to do would be to leave. But uh, we sat there with our arms crossed. 
And we were determined. And we could hear our favorite band singing the songs that we know so well. And we could hear all the people on the inside singing along. And we could picture them. They were crowd serving. They were having the time of their life. And here we were stuck on the outside until these two girls and exited out the door. You know, the kind that says, you know, this is do not return. This is once you leave, you can't come back in. And the security guard, well, you know, hey, two people left. Yeah, two people can come on in. And we thought, yes, finally we got to go in. And we did. We had the time of our, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the show. It was amazing. There was a sense with everybody in there, and I think if the fire marshal had shown up, he would have shut the whole thing down. You know, it was a room about this size, completely just packed with, you know, teens, just, you know, packed in. And there was a sense of camaraderie between us because we realized just hours earlier, we had no plans for the Friday night. Just hours earlier, we had no idea our favorite band was. And then next thing you know, we are all here together enjoying, singing along, having the time of our lives. There is a sense here in Ephesians chapter 2, the emphasis here that we too are to remember we were on the outside. We were outsiders to this good news. We were at one time listening on the outside going, I hear these people, I'm trying to figure out what this is all about. And yet we were sitting there in line with this chain across and the security guard saying, none shall pass. What? None shall pass. And we're stuck not being able to enter in. And so Paul, in this section here, in, in, as we conclude chapter 2, he's going to essentially say, I, I want you to remember where you were on the outside, not in. And as you're on the outside, I want you to remember and seeing you were out, and then it'll help you really appreciate the fact that the walls have come down that divided you from being in. Those walls are gone, and now you are in and it's going to help you once you see that you are in and the walls have come down. You'll recognize you're a part of a whole new people. And that's exactly how this passage unfolds. Remember where you were, verses 11 through 13. So that you'll be able to see the walls tumbling down, verses 14 through 18. And when you do, it'll reveal a whole new people that you're a part of in verses 19 through 22. And so, first, remember where you were. If there were two um, main dimensions, two planes, you know, the, the vertical and the horizontal, at the very beginning of this chapter, what we heard a few weeks back was the emphasis on the vertical, that God's grace has come to us, that God's grace has united us with him. And it was a primarily a, a vertical dimension. And now kind of where Paul's going is out of this grace, this grace is not just a vertical dimension. It spills out so that it is a horizontal dimension as well. Um, and and, and if, if we see previously by grace you have been saved or more fleshed out by grace through faith, you have been saved, saved made alive um, to walk as God's masterpiece. And here we're to see that that grace, you could think of it as a waterfall. That grace has come, and you know how this works with waterfalls. The moment it hits down below, it has to get everything wet that's around it. And this is exactly the way it is here. This is why he says in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he says, consider this. You remember that 
At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which has been made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope in the world. There was this division, this sense that there were insiders and outsiders and that the Gentiles were separated. And and to be honest, this created a lot of division. I think we're a bit at times, you know, we, we sense that there, yeah, I think there was these two categories of Jews and Gentiles, but there wasn't a full unpacked understanding for many of us at just how much there was an animosity between these two categories. I mean, uh, to, to, be un, to be called uncircumcised, that was a slur word. It, it, it was a filthy word you said of other people to indicate that they were like, you know, unclean pigs. They were the uncircumcised. There was a popular saying that was essentially even the best of Gentiles were worthy of death. I think it, it's, it went something like this. The, the, the Greeks would, or the Jews would say, the best of serpents crush the best of Gentiles kill. I mean, you get the image. It was said of Jews that if you're walking along and you came across a Gentile woman who was in labor about to have have her baby, you weren't to help her. For if you helped the Gentile woman bring her baby into the world, you you were adding to the uncleanliness of the world. So you weren't even to help them. That's the level of disdain and hostility. Interestingly enough, it wasn't, a, it wasn't something that Jesus himself even escaped. Even Jesus was caught up in the middle of this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, it's very clear there. The, the one place where people wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff, it, it wasn't, they didn't want to throw him off the cliff because um, he came and said, I'm the Messiah. They didn't want to throw him off the cliff because he came and he said, hey, uh, I'm, on, I'm on level with God himself. I am the great I am. No, they wanted to throw him off a cliff because he made it clear that the Gentiles were going to be the ones to receive the healing gospel. And if you thought the tension was only one-sided, that it was just rolling downhill from the Jews to the Gentiles, oh, it came the other way as well. Plato wrote and, and said that anyone who was a barbarian, meaning not Greek, he was an enemy by nature. I mean, you're natural-born enemies. And, and so... This is, I think, why Paul's going to be circling around this idea of unity to show the Ephesians, who, whom for what we know, I think this Ephesian church was much like us, made up of Gentiles, mostly Gentiles. Surely there were some Jews with, within there. But he wants to remind these Gentile Christians, you were on the outside. You were outside of the show. Not only was there a, a tension between them and God's people, but they were not recipients of the promises of God. That's what Paul mentions here in, in 11 and 12 and says, you, you weren't the recipients of these promises. And this, of course, is most likely sweeping in the, the Abrahamic covenant where God said, I, I'm promising that I, Abraham, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to make your people as numerous as the stars of the sky. I'm going to bless you. And, and, and the idea is, well, the Gentiles were not included in that. They were outside that. But you also read here, it says covenants, plural. And I think the, the, the idea is we can see and understand, the, think through the promises that, that go beyond Abraham where it's sweeping in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
and even to Israel and eventually even uh, the promises of David. And so you could picture him saying the, all these promises, they were bound up with a particular people that God was working in and through who he said, these are my chosen people through the Jews. And he says, you have to understand that um, these Gentiles were outside of that. To be born a Jew was a tremendous advantage. If you were born a, a Jewish or then, then you, you had an advantage that the Gentiles were estranged from. But praise God, we see verse 13. But now, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So did you hear what ends up bringing all these people, the two categories together? It is not uh, anything but the blood of Jesus. It's not their ethnicity. It wasn't their culture, it wasn't their good works or anything else. Only the work of Jesus and his blood sacrifice. A work of God's grace that now brings these Ephesian Christians, you and I, from being outsiders, outside the show, to inside. So Paul says, hey, remember? And I'm telling you this morning, remember that you, at one time, were outside. Remember this. There, there is a podcast I was listening to this last week of... And a man who is El, Sal- El Salvadorian, and he says with tears, he was sharing about how his family uh, in this war-torn country, they were was stricken with poverty. He says, you know, when we were, um, you know, young, uh, things were so bad because of the war and because of just the nature of, of our country. He said that for Christmas, the, the gifts, if we were given gifts for Christmas, the gift was a new pair of clothes, a new change of clothes that you could wear out for the next year. He, he said, you know, our, our socks had holes in them and we were lucky at times if we had shoes. And, you know, just with tears, he's sharing all this. And the, the, the interviewer says, now... Um, Tell me where you've come to this point. Well, he said, once I got to the United States, I've worked extremely hard, tremendously hard. And now he's a, a multimillionaire. And, and, he, and then the interviewer says, so what is it exactly that, you know, keeps you from now just becoming, you know, like a lot of Americans, just kind of a materialistic American jerk? And he says, that's easy. All I have to do is I just remember. I know where I came from. I know wh- where I've been. I remember my former status, he says, back in El Salvador. And, and I think Paul here, he wants to remind these Christians, don't forget where you were. It, it helps them appreciate what Christ has done on the cross for them. So they can really appreciate the new status, the new identity that they have. Not as circumcised nor uncircumcised, not barbarian or noble, not Jew, not Gentile. No, no, no. The, the new identity is in Christ, united in Christ as one people. So Christian, do you reflect on where you were prior to Jesus? Do you reflect and remember when you were alienated from God without real hope? If I can see that I was not just alienated from God in sin, that I, and, and not just alienated from God, but also alienated from other people, that I, I was natural born enemies with a lot of people before Christ. It helps me now reflect the joy that I have. I really appreciate these Walls that have come down between not just God and I, but between, between you and I. And that's where Paul goes. He says, see then how the walls have come tumbling down in verses 14 through 18. I'm going to pick up at 14 where he says, for he himself is our peace. Who's made us both one and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so by making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Well, as the children's song goes, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Now, as one scholar put it, he said, you know that Jesus's name is essentially Joshua, Yeshua, Yashua, Joshua. He says, so just as Joshua came and fought a battle, the walls came tumbling down. So too with this new Joshua, this Jesus, he fought the battle of sin and death. And when he did, the walls come tumbling down. Notice here, twice the word hostility is used. And the first time, it's used in conjunction with the wall. Wall of hostility. And I think this is important for us to catch. There is some uncertainty exactly what Paul is mentioning. Is he talking perhaps metaphorically? Or is he speaking specifically about a wall that did divide the Jews and the Gentiles? And, and, I, and, I, and I think it's probably safe to, to see these things wrapped up, actually. To see that these are probably both in his mind. And I'll, and I'll help you see why this is the case. But you need, let's begin first with the physical wall around the temple. Recall that the temple was the place where the Jews had access. As God's people, they had access to worshiping God. And the Holy of Holies where God's spirit was to be dwelling. And so there were walls, though, that separated. There was a place where the high priest could go in. Then there was separate, separations where then you see the priesthood in general were able to minister through the sacrifices. And then there was walls that then separated the Jewish priest from where the court of, of Jewish men and women could dwell. And then outside of this, a big wall that came around that separated all the Jews from being close in to where God's presence was to a place where the Gentile courts were, where the Gentiles were allowed to go. And we know from Josephus and from recent um, findings in, in the 1800s, they found signs that, that corroborate and show there were signs that, that made it very clear if you were Gentile, you could not go and enter into the Jewish court. The sign said, if you go past this sign as a Gentile, you will only have yourself to blame for your own death. It was a sign that said, none shall pass. If you're Gentile, none shall pass. And if you do, you would face far more than a flesh wound. And as these signs go up that divide, it's very interesting because Paul himself, he was not a stranger to this whole affair. Paul himself, if you go back and read Acts 21, you see that this is the very issue that gets Paul arrested. It's the very thing he was accused of. He had a Gentile friend named Trophimus, and Paul had been seen in town with Trophimus, and somebody goes, oh, we saw Paul down at the temple. We're very sure that he took Trophimus past those signs as a Gentile into the inner court. And so they said, look what this man has done. Let's arrest him. And so they seized him. And, and, and this is where the good news of Ephesians chapter 2 is emphasizing that that dividing wall 
between the Jews and Gentiles really is no more. Now there was made a way for these people who were enemies, natural born enemies, to become a united people. There can be peace between not only God and you, but between us as believers. Both Jews and Gentiles embracing this peace. You see that verse 14 there? For he himself is our peace, who's made us both one and is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So we have to answer this. Why did Paul want to remind them that they were one in Christ here? What is the emphasis then? Why this emphasis on peace? Well, because for all the human efforts to bring peace, you and I, we cannot, we will not, we are unable to truly have peace with one another through our own human efforts. In 1986, there was a peace march that began in L.A. And it stalled out in Barstow. I don't know if you know where Barstow is, but... The peace march stopped in Barstow. It's like a little over 100 miles out of L.A. There was like some 1,200 marchers that gathered together for this march. And the reason this peace march that was supposed to go a long, long distance ended in Barstow is because they fought over petty things. Uh, they, they, they fought over who was it who actually had done all the walking of the 100 miles versus who may have gotten in some cars and, and, and cut ahead. <laughs> they fought over, over um, you know, things like what clothes they were supposed to be wearing and things like uh, voting on, you know, how this whole organization had run. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crack up that for a peace march, it ended in division, it ended in hurt feelings, and it ended in anger. And, and I'd like to say, well, that only happens in peace marches. But sadly, this can be the tale of a lot of churches, too that they've ended in this way. And so I ask myself, what is it? Because I don't want anything like that to happen here. So I, I say, Thomas, what is it that will keep us from doing something stupid like that? It's, it's right here. What will protect us? I think Paul is making it very clear is that our horizontal reconciliation hinges on, relies on, is formed by our vertical reconciliation. Friends, do you understand that Jesus Christ saves our souls? But the gospel also tells us that it saves our relationships between us as well. Remember that you've been reconciled, not just to God through Christ, but to one another. Don't forget that even Paul, I mean, he had disagreements with his own, in his own ministry. It, it was not the most smooth sailing for him. Recall how he had a disagreement with Barnabas and they divided but, but in truth, even if believers head off in different directions, even if there's kind of like different emphases with different Christians, I, I'm going to head here, I'm going to do this, you're going to go over there and do that, there ought to be an understanding that they are still unified, that they are, there's a reconciliation between them because they are one people living for the same kingdom. And so I consider Church on the Mountain, I pray, Lord, keep us from petty division. Help us, each, each man here, each woman here, to value other Christians so that there is a genuine peace and a true reconciliation. Let the gospel of forgiveness so rule strongly here that we maintain our forgiveness for one another and we maintain our unity. That we are essentially all wearing the same jersey. We're on the same team together. Unity, wearing the same uniform for Christ. 
And as a quick aside here, I, I hope that you'd see that there is one road here for both the Jews and the Gentiles for salvation. I think that's important to catch here and just t- take a pause as, a, as an aside. That as verse 15 shows us Jesus, he's creating in himself one new man in place of the two. Uh, I think there's been various forms of teaching that want to ignore passages like these, downplay passages like these, that would say, well, the Jews will be saved because they are followers of Yahweh, or they will be saved because God has another track for them versus the salvation path for those of us in Christ, for Gentiles. But friends, this teaching is wrongheaded. Uh, This is misleading because Scripture makes it very clear there is one path. God is making one people not two people with two different salvation tracks. This is the beauty of the gospel. That while ethnically there are hundreds, salvation is through the one into the body of Christ in which we belong. And this helps remind me, the people who rub me wrong who are Christians, I mean, they're saved through the same Jesus that I'm saved through. The same Holy Spirit is at work in them that's at work in me. And that they are having access to the same father that I have access to. And that helps me have the camaraderie I need in the unity. And I think that's where Paul's hitting on in verse 18. Where he says, for through him, meaning Jesus. Here we can see the triune picture of God. For through him, we we have both have access in one spirit to the father. So the son, the spirit, and the father are all those who are united together in this one body. And and this is important because I I need to remember that God does not adopt us as as, uh, his children and then say, well, I have my real children and I have my red-headed stepchildren or I have my red-bearded stepchildren. No. He's like, these are my children. They're mine. And they're one. We all share in the same pleasure of belonging to the same family. I mean, this is the heart cry of Jesus in in his high priestly prayer in John 17, where he prays, Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. So that our unity is to be akin to the triune unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we should, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we ought to bestow greater honor. We ought to see the value of all the believers here. Cross kills hostility between us. And we think of Jesus just hours after that prayer where Jesus shed his blood for sinful Jews and for sinful Gentiles, sinful men, women, old, young, wise, simple, big, small, introverted, extroverted, it didn't matter, all whom he has chosen in Christ. That curtain, that dividing thick curtain that kept us from having access to God was torn in two so that we are close to God. And we see it, verse 17, where he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. I think in context here where Paul is speaking of those who were near may, may be in relation to the Jews and those who are far off in relation to the Gentiles. But I think there's a, a, a truth in this that, you know, even now, even in this room right here, there are people who are those who are near to Christ and those who are far off. There are people in this room right now when they get out of bed in the morning, they just sense God's presence with them. Some of you have told me, I just really sense when the Lord is with me, I just wake up and I know he's right there with me. There are still others in this room here who would say, 
you cannot be any further away from Jesus. They would say something like, Thomas, for all the talking that you've done this morning, I don't believe a word you've said. And they would be those who are far off. And if that's you this morning, I would hope that you would just catch that Jesus through Ephesians, and yes, even through my preaching this morning, is preaching to you. You may say, my life is a wreck. I have been living for myself. My decisions at times have been ugly or awful. And you need to know that you are not so far off from Jesus that Jesus can't get to you. You may say, I, the way it is with Jesus and I, he may as well be at the other end of the universe. It would take me light years to get there. But friends, that's one small step for Jesus to get to you. That's nothing. That Christ dying as a sacrifice in our place paid our debt, that he took our place on the cross. And that if you believe this, this peace, my friends, is for you who are far off right now. If you went after him, you'd never make it. And this is why Jesus has come to preach to those who are far off, to say, I'm right here to get you. So you, right where you're at, you could say, Christ, let your peace be for me. You could be like the woman at the well who says, sir, give us this water of life always. And you could see the walls that divide you and divide us come tumbling down. The wall of sin and shame that kept you from accessing God himself. For Paul says, we too were to remember Remember where you were so that you can really understand and see these walls come tumbling down. So that as the walls come tumbling, tumbling down, it will reveal to you a new people to which if you are in Christ, you belong. Not just a new people, more than that. We have images stacked upon images here. Try and catch these as I read 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together <clears throat> into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, what is the picture? Well, the picture is a new city. Rather than being strangers to God, Christians are in Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are part of his household also. That's another image. And it's a home with different structural pieces. The home has been built upon the apostles' teaching and Christ. Christ is the, the stone in which the whole thing is founded upon. And then further we see the image of a temple. Now Paul is he's very quickly, he, he is... Mixing up his metaphors. He, he's saying the church is like a nation with citizenship. We are also like a home. But even more interesting, we are like a, uh, being built into a temple, a dwelling place for God. And these images are helpful because they help us understand a few aspects about our being united in Christ. First, this is why we take membership here seriously. Um, as we are members of one another, th this church has a formal way in which we say, here's whom we know belongs to this household right here, and it's through our formal membership. And so if you're not a, a formal member and you would like to become one, just please see me after service. I would love to, to have a conversation with you. It helps the elders know and the church know, here's who we are accountable to, here's who we are responsible for. And so um, we express that through formal membership. And yet even so, we must be careful how we understand these statements 
about our new citizenship. First uh, Peter chapter two in verse nine, he talks about it in terms of us being a a, a new nation, uh, and the new people we are being made into ought not to be confused with an earthly nation. Um, there are no Christian nations. I, I hope you really understand that. There are people of Christ in and among the nations, but there are no Christian nations. We are to be a people who are embedded. We are to be a people like we got dropped behind enemy lines. And now our goal is to love our enemies and to proclaim the gospel to them wherever able. No, our goal is not to build up a Christian nation. It is to love our enemies in in the nations that we are in. So even though you and I, we, we pray for Christians to enter into the Senate. I pray for Christians to enter into Congress. That's not our end goal. For the moment that we say, aha, we have built up a Christian nation is the moment that you and I surely have not. Christ has made this extremely clear. You cannot legislate this kingdom. You cannot force this kingdom into existence. It's a work of God, not man. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they look and say, ah, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom is in the midst of you. And so as I think about, you know, where Paul talks about us being a Christian nation, if there ever was a visible manifestation of the group of Christians being a nation, friends, it's right here. This is where we visibly join together as the body of Christ. This is where we sing his praises together in worship. This is where we celebrate our unity, that we are one people made by God. Can you see the purpose behind all of this? Why did Christ come? Why did Christ die? Why did he, did he save us from our sin? Why does he forgive us? What's the point of all this? Well, it's so that you and I, we would be a new people. I hope you see that this is the desire of everyone. Christian or not, they're not looking for somewhere to belong. They're looking for peace and and rest from the world's strife so that they hope through global politics or resource management or technology, we can finally be a people that we're supposed to be. But will that ever happen? No, it won't, because we can't even have a peace march make it 100 miles out of L.A. And so people are wondering, where, can, where is it then that I could find an identity, an identity that will bring me unified with people around me? Where is it that I will be able to have access to an identity that's not based upon my performance, not based upon my sexual identity, not based upon anything? Christianity says, you, you who are near, you who are far off, come by grace through faith in Christ. Be a united people that God is creating, a people who now have a new identity. Our very name is our new identity, Christians, Christ dwellers. Maybe in our common vernacular, we'd say the home of Christ. We are his dwelling place. We're not looking to go to some building. We're not looking to go to some temple. We are the temple. And if you think about it, if you just think about it for a second, here's the great irony. Paul, Paul who gets arrested. Why? Because he brings Trophimus into, supposedly, he didn't do this because he knew if, if he brought Trophimus, Trophimus could have been killed. So he didn't do that. Acts makes that clear. But, The irony is he was accused of bringing Trophimus into the temple. But friends, as Paul preached the gospel and as Trophimus became a Christian 
And as he entered into the body of Christ, Trophimus did enter the temple. That's the irony. And it's the picture of the very thing that you and I celebrate this morning, a new city coming down out of heaven. And as we close here in a moment in worship and, and we praise God, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you just as you sing, look around to your fellow Christian brothers, look around to your fellow Christian sisters, and, and as strange as it might be, can you recognize that you are united with them? They may be so very different from you, but if you're in Christ and so are they, uniquely you're making up the dwelling place of God. This is incredible. Because salvation not only saves our souls, it also saves our relationships. Uniting you and I as a single people, this is the picture of what is formed now and perfected then. I'm going to close here with Revelation 21, where we see this in full detail. Where we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And listen, I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. No more uh, peace marches that end in anger. None of this, for the former things have passed away. And also in Revelation we read, And this city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb, and by its light will the nations, meaning Jews and Gentiles, join together as one. And the kings of the earth, they're going to bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut. For those who have access by the blood of the lamb into that city, they're never going to be on the outside. There will be no outsiders. There will be only insiders there. Can't wait. It's what's beginning now. It's what will be perfected then. Would you pray with me? Father, just as a right relationship comes by grace through faith, uh, this right relationship with you we know spreads out into how we relate to one another. And so I pray, Lord, that not with a thin veneer, but with a true depth of love for one another, would you help us to see the reality that you have formed in us the church? Would it again fall afresh on us this morning and our hearts rejoice that we are those who sing inside? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.